What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to the Monster Legends Podcast. I'm your host, Tanner, and episode two, we'll be talking about the monsters in Alaska. But first off, let's talk about little fun things about Alaska. If I can find it, add it up here. One second. One moment. Give me a minute. Do 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 do. Cut us off of a uh, history.com. The largest state and area of the United States, Alaska was admitted to Union as the 49th state in 1959 and lies in the northwest of the North American continent. Acquired by the United States in 1867, the territory was dubbed Seward's Folly after U.S. Secretary of State William Seward who arranged to purchase the land from Russia. Critics of the purchase believed that the land had nothing to offer. The discovery of gold in, 19, in the 1890s created a centipede of prospectors and settlers. Alaska is bounded by the Beaufort Sea and the Arctic Ocean to the north. Canada's Yukon Territory and British Columbia Province to the east, the Gulf of Alaska, and the Pacific Ocean to the south, the Bering Strait and the Bering Sea to the west, and the Chukchi Sea to the northwest. The capital is Juneau. It became a state on January 3rd, 1959. Uh, the population of, according to the 2010 census, is 710,231. It is uh, 664,988 square miles. It's named the last frontier and land of the midnight sun. The motto is North to the future. The state tree is the Sitka spruce. The state flower is the forget me not. 
say bird is the willow Comprigan, like P T A R M I G A N. I'm sure you pronounce that. These are interesting facts. Uh, Russia controlled most of the area that is now Alaska from the late 1500s until 1867 when it was purchased by U.S. Secretary of State William Seward for 7.2 million or about two cents an acre. Wow. During World War II, the Japanese occupied two Alaskan islands, Atu and Kiska, for 15 months. Uh, Alaska attained 17 of the 20 highest peaks in the United States. At 20,320 feet, Mount McKinley is the tallest mountain in North America. Alaska has roughly 5,000 earthquakes every year. Wow, that's crazy. In March of 1964, the strongest earthquake recorded in North America occurred in Prince William Sound, the magnitude of 9.2. Wow. Uh, the most powerful volcanic explosion in the 20th century occurred in 1912 when Novorupta volcano erupted, creating a valley of 10,000 smokes in Katami National Park. The temperatures dropped to a record negative 80 degrees Fahrenheit at Prostate Creek Camp in 1971. The state of Rhode Island could fit into Alaska more than 420 times. People have inhabited Alaska since 10,000 BCE, and the time a land bridge extended from Siberia to eastern Alaska, and migrants followed herds of animals across it. Of these migrant groups, the Atatapicans, Atatapicans, Aleus, Inuit, Yupik, Tingley, and ID remain in Alaska. Crazy. What's interesting? Alright, on to the monsters. The first monster is gonna be get my stuff up. The Tornet or the Alaskan Bushman. I got this off of mysteriousuniverse.org. By, uh, this article by Mika Hanks, published June 10th, 2017. According to the 1901 edition of the Bulletin of the American Museum of Natural History, Volume 15, the Alaska Tornado described as dustly. In early times, the tornado, a race of very large people, inhabited the country. They quarreled with the Eskimo because the latter intruded upon their land. This made the torrent angry. He broke the ground with their lances and spears and split rocks into pieces. It is believed that Tornet and Lichquan, both versus giants, inhabit the interior. A legend about the Tornet was recounted in 1901 Bulletin, which told about how the giants would come to the house of the Eskimos while the men were off hunting and sometimes kill the women and children there. Another story tells of a pair of torrent children, a boy and a girl, that were captured and assimilated outside, alongside the Eskimo people. The boy became renowned for his ability to throw a spear, but probably vanished into the forest after being made to demonstrate his skills by impaling an old dog in the village. The girl, it was said, eventually married one of the Eskimos in the village. According to the 1901 bulletin, it said that the, in the Yuluk country, the land still shows where the, how 
tore it, tore it up with their harpoon shafts when they were about to leave in fear of the Eskimo. Terry Toombs, a former Alaskan, now lives in Montana, wrote in 2012 about Legends of Torrance. Stories of Alaska Bushmen, or Tornas, have been told since the first humans crossed the Bering Land Bridge. Toombs wrote, In the beginning, the story goes, Doing it and the Tornas lived peacefully in villages near each other and shared common hunting grounds. The Inuit people often built and used cabs for hunting, while the Tornas were unable to master the building of kayaks. They were very aware of the advantages of having and using one. One story goes that young Torrent brought a young Inuit to kayak without permission and damaged the bottom of it. Young Inuit became very angry and stabbed Torrent in the, na- the neck while he was sleeping, killing him. The rest of Torrance feared that they too would be killed by Inuit and fled the country, rarely to be seen again. Since that time, many stories have been come out about of the bush of hunters disappearing and later found dead, and mangoes are never seen again. Apparently, hunters and Torrance never longer peacefully share common hunting grounds. Toombs told his own story about a fishing trip for salmon in the Jessica and Little Sutina rivers, where one cool and rainy spring. They had been pulling in salmon when Toombs, his father, and his brother smelt an unusually skunky order. Notice that most of the first other fishermen had left the area. Toombs' father released the holster on its 45, and the family quickly left the area. When asked why they were leaving, he told his sons it had been a bear, although Toombs recalls seeing uprooted trees that had been thrust into the ground as they left the area. I learned many years later that there was a t- that was a tall tale sign of Bigfoot in territory. Toombs wrote, I guess I'll never know if it was a bear or a Bigfoot that placed us from fishing that evening, but I do know that that was the last time our family ever fished that river. It was also the first and only time the kids got to sleep, or at least tried to, in the camp trailer instead of the tents. As Toombs mentions, the modern folklore parallel to mysterious tornado people, of course, is Bigfoot, the man-like beast alleged to exist in the remote parts of the Pacific. Northwest, no parts of the Pacific Northwest. No conclusive proof for the of Bigfoot exists apart from first evidence in the form of footprint castings and the occasional films reporting to show the creature. However, it is interesting that so many American Indian legends contain parallels to the modern Bigfoot mythos in this way, constituting a small part of the broader wildman mythology cleaned from cultures worldwide. That's interesting. Same thing in this one. Um, there's a story about the tournament. It's by a uh, the author is. Trying to find who the author is. It's on fairytales.com. 
In olden times, Inuit were not the only tribe living in the Eskimo country. Around Cumberland Sound, there lived some very large, strong people called the Tornit. They were on good terms with the Inuit and shared the same hunting grounds, but lived in separate villages. They were much taller than the Inuit and had very long legs and arms, but their eyes were not as good. They were so strong that they could lift large boulders, which were far too heavy for the Inuit, though the latter were much stronger in those days than they are now. Some of the stones which they used to throw are lying about the country still, and the toughest of the men now living cannot lift them, much less swing and throw them. Some of the stones, some of their stone houses also remain. Adrian lived in the houses all winter and did not cover them with snow to make them warmer. The principal part of their winter dress was a long, wide coat of deerskins, reaching to the knees and trimmed with leather straps. They wore us, deer, and seal, and when they were sailing in the winter, they fastened the lower edge of their coat to the snow by means of pegs. Under the coat, they carried a small lamp, or which to melt snow when they were thirsty, or which to roast some of the seal meat. They sat around a hole in the ice and watched for their prey, and when a seal blew in the hole, they whispered, I, I shall stab it. Sometimes, in the eagerness, they forgot the lamp, and they said, and upset it as they threw the harpoon, and thus got burned. Their strength was so great they could hold a harpoon worse as easily as the Inuit could hold a seal. These weaker men did not like to play football with them, for they did not realize how rough they were and often hurt their playfellows severely. This, the playfellows tried to take in good part, and the two lived on friendly terms except for one thing. For some reason, the tournaments did not make kayaks for themselves. Although they say how convenient they were for hunting when the ice broke up in the spring, every little while they would steal a boat from Inuit, who did not dare fight for their property because the thieves were much stronger. This wrinkled in the hearts of Inuit, and they would talk among themselves and threaten to take vengeance on the robbers. They debated what they should do, to, either to get rid of the torrent or to make them cease their depredations. This state of affairs had gone on till the Inuit were at fever heat. When one day a young tornado took the boat of a young Inuit without asking. Sailing with it, he ran into some blocks of floating ice which dove in the bottom. The owner nursed his race into night and when the thief was asleep, he slipped in the net, slipped into the tent and thrust his knife into the tornado's neck. The tornado tribe had been aware of the growing dislike. And when at last one of their Inuit took revenge, they feared that others might do the same in a similar secret fashion, so they decided to leave the country. In order to deceive their neighbors, they called the trails of their long coats and tied their hair in bunches that stuck up behind to look like a strange people as they fed. Then they stole away, and the Inuit were so glad they were gone, they made no effort to pursue them. Now... Anything more? Is there anything else? I think I said for torn it.
next. Uh, number next up we have the Thunderbird. Uh, this is from the Mysterious Universe again. Another creature in Alaskan folklore that may have ties to a real-life animal is the famous Thunderbird. Although varieties of this giant mythical bird exist among several American Indian traditions, there is a presence of such legends in the cultures of Southeast Alaska and the Pacific Northwest. Stories tell of how the Thunderbird was led to hunt by hurling giant snakes down, known as Haithika, meaning lightning snake, at whales and other marine animals. On Friday, October 18th, 2002, CNN reported on a most unusual development in South East, southern Alaska. The reporter told how a bird the size of a small airplane was recently said to be flying over southwest Alaska, puzzling scientists. When this, when this is a solid bird say it was a small size of a small plane compared to something one would expect to see in popular Jurassic Park films. He's huge. He's huge. He's really big, said John Booker, a local pilot that initially dismissed the reports until he and several others observed the birds and the cells. You don't want to have your children out. So other things about. Let's see. No, it's same thing. This is from Mysterious Humor and Giant Birds. 2002, scores of Alaskans told the Anchorage Daily News they seen gigantic, gigantic bird, gigantic, yeah, gigantic, gigantic, can't talk, gigantic birds overhead. Builders from Tojiak and Monokotak in southern, southwestern Alaska reported seeing the bird, which is much bigger than anything they have seen before. Moses Kupchak, 43, worked on his tractor when he saw the bird and couldn't believe it. At first, I thought it was one of those old-time otter planes, he said. Instead of continuing towards me, it banged to the left, and that's when I noticed it wasn't a plane. Pilot and owner of Bristol Bay Air Service, John Boker, were skeptical of the reports of giant birds until he saw one himself. While flying near Motoko, he looked out his window and, and there's this big bird, they told Daily News. He's really big. He's really, really big. You want to have to let your children out, okay? Raptor specialist film Skeff said, There's nothing besides the bird alive anymore. I'm totally not aware of anything with a 14-foot wingspan that's been alive for the last 100,000 years, he said. That we know of. Okay. More...
Anyway, what's going on with you guys? You guys join the Facebook group? Join my Twitter? Twitter account? This is the last episode on Alabama. Alright, next one. Next monster. The Tizerick. Tizerick. Her work. Her Terry Tomes also noted there's a sea surf of sorts which is prevalent in Alaskan folklore. In mythology, the Tizerick are large snake like sea creatures that are believed to roam Alaska's waters. Tomes hers. They're described as having a head 7 feet long with a tail ending in a flipper for a total of 12 to 15 feet long. Tuzerek were said to snatch people from docks and piers. In 2009, a surprising piece of footage taken by a fisherman off the Alaska coast which appeared to show some large surfing-like creatures swimming in the ocean waters. Paul Leblond, the former head of the Department of Earth and Ocean Scientists at the University of British Columbia, was quoted by Discovery News saying, I'm quite impressed with the video, although it was shot under rainy, under rainy circumstances and a bouncy ship is very genuine. Leblon is also co-author of the book Cadboats Rosaurus, Survivor from the Deep, which makes the case for Caddy, then given to the sea serpent that casually is seen there in the region. Many have claimed to see Caddy over the years, and a number of carcasses have washed ashore, which are believed to have blonde cre- creature. Most of these, however, were Identified later as a race of known species like sharks and whales. It must be a mammal, a reptile, LeBlanc said of the serpent like creature in the Fishman's 2009 film, since it oscillates up and down in a vertical plane, which eliminates sideways oscillating fish. The description appears to be consistent with similar reports of the hump serpent like creature seen along the Pacific coast for more than a century. It could be that all these creatures really aren't really legends or. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of his. Uh, I got some things. Need that one. Three tones. Shout out to Terry Tomes, by the way. One feet long, size so people from water. Scare one. 
Okay. Also, another source is Jason Offit on March 3rd, 2015. MysteriousUniverse.org. Something. The Yama, Yama Lake Monster. In a sparsely populated area of southwestern, southwest Alaska, the number of residents in the entire region was 109 in 2010. Lies the 1,012 square lake mile Yama Lake, home to Chinook Salmon Lake Trout, North, Northern Pike, and Ely, the Yama Lake Monster. The lake itself 77 miles long, 22 miles wide, and 988 feet deep is the largest lake in Alaska and capable of finding the 30-foot-long square-headed beast. The monster, known as Konakadak by Native Tealing Indians, was viewed as a god having the body of an orca, the head of a wolf, and was known to eat fishing boats. Early Russian explorers reportedly saw the creature at Yama Lake, and sightings have continued to this day. Modern reports come from explorers and biologists, I've seen the 30-foot monster, sometimes described as a lemon-colored, other times as black with a white stripe. One report has an airplane snagging the beast with a tuna hook. The monster towed a plane around a lake before those aboard could release the cable. Experts have claimed the Yama Lake monster is everything from a white sturgeon to a sleeper shark to a beluga whale, all of which can reach to a length of about 20 feet and have access to the lake. But the locals know better. I'm like, it's home to a monster. I think I have something else on this. A story. A story coming up. Uh, from what's this from? The it's from the Alaska Cryptozoology Institute. Top blog Okay. The Yama Lake Monster. The Yama Lake Monster is a large fish between ten to twenty-five feet long. Skin is a dull lemon color. This creature looks very similar to a white sturgeon. Uh, it's behavior. The Yama Lake Monster spends most of its time submerged when it is seen in the surface. It does not come up for air and moves its tail from side to side. This creature occasionally is out of the water and possibly collides with boats. Several signs in the mid to late 1900s made up for bulk of evidence for its creature's existence, but native mythology also suggests there are monsters in Lake Yama. The story about the the Kona Cadet or the Yama Lake Monster. Next to Raven, the most popular subject for totem pole art was the Kona Cadet, known also to the head as, as Wazigo. This monster is generally depicted as an aquatic wolf with some aspects of the killer whale. One story about it relates that it had a head like a house. But whether this refer to its shape or to its size is no longer known. There are many 
Kodak like stories, but the most popular one concerns a high-born young man who was having mother-in-law trouble. Being the wife of a chief and used to having her own way, she seems to despise him because she could not dominate him as she would like like it to, especially was she irked by his gambling. After each meal, she would order every bit of food put out of sight so that there would be nothing left when he came home. Then she would order the slaves to put out the fire so that he would not cook anything for himself. When a gambler would come into the community house long after dark, the woman would remark sarcastically, My fine son, my fine son-in-law, has been cutting wood for me. A similar remark would be flung at him at every opportunity. Although the young man had a kind and loving wife, he found that he could not endure her mother's constant nagging forever. At some distance back of the village, there was a lovely game in which the monster Konegadak was repeated to dwell. Here at the lakeside, he built himself a small cedar cabin where he lived alone. But he was not idle since it was intention to try to trap the monster. First, he fell a tall cedar tree into the lake and carefully stripped it of its branches. Then, with fine hardened hardwood wedges and stone maul, he split the log nearly to the butt. Next, he inserted long cross pieces, which were fun. The two halves wide apart and held them there at great tension. When summer came, the villagers left their fishing grounds. The young man went with them and caught many salmon. These he took to the cabin and with them he waited his trap. By letting the bright red salmon down into water on the line, a cardiac was finally lured into the space between the spurned tree house, whereupon he knocked out the trigger and the monster was trapped. For hours it thrust about, at times dragging the tree completely underwater, but eventually it gave up the struggle and died. Now the young man removed the Kodak from the trap, skinned it, and carefully dried the skin. Once cured, he got into the hide and went into the water. As he hoped to rest in skin, he had all the powers of the Kodak himself. He explored the lake bottom, finding there a beautiful house which had been the home of the Kodak. Kodak. The story of the good fortune he kept from everybody but his wife, and she was charged to reveal it to no one. The following spring found all the people's dried salmon used up, and the village was faced with the prospects of famine. Then the young man put on the, his Kodak skin and swam in the sea every night. Only his wife knew of his whereabouts, and to her only he revealed the supernatural aspects of his gifts. I will be back each morning for the raven calls, he said. But if the raven calls before I return, do not look for me, or I shall be dead in this life. At night, he caught a salmon, and, and before the raven called the bird, he brought it to the village and laid it on the fan in front of his mother-in-law's house. Rising early next morning, this woman spied the salmon, including that it had drifted there with the tide. According to the custom, all the villages was invited to partake of it. The following night, the young man caught two salmon and left them in the same place. When the mother-in-law found these, she was overjoyed and wondered what it was what it was that brought, was bringing her this good fortune. It must be a spirit, she thought. The son-in-law now slept during the day, being tired from swimming in search of salmon all night. His mother-in-law would bury him suddenly, saying, Imagine men sleeping all day when there is a famine. If it were not for me going around picking up the fish, the whole village would starve. His wife, however, knew who was bribing the salmon. 
Next morning, the woman found a hell bit for her door, testing her rhythm and the strange happenings, which too hell of it would be there on the morrow. The young man, hearing her predictions, fulfilled it by catching two hobbits. Then she told her husband, the chief, to forbid anyone to go on the beach until she had gone first, given as her reason that she had a vision. Of course, she wished only to make sure that she would should get full credit for everything that was found. That then she predicted that she would find a seal, and as she foretold, a seal was there in the morning. The hair was singled off, the skin scrubbed white, and the seal cooked whole for the benefit of the community. People now began to regard her as the great shaman, and she did everything in her power to encourage such belief. She ordered a claw headdress made such as shamans wear, and a rattle and an apron decorated with buffet's beaks and a mask. When she named, she named food fighting spirit. She only talked about her spirits and sang songs about their powers. High caste people paid much attention to her and praised her spirits. Properly made her still more cruel to her son-in-law, and she now spoke of him diversely as the sleeping man. Okay, as time went on, she called successfully for two seals, one sea lion, two lions, one whale. Now she was selling food to the villagers, and had so much stored away in boxes that the people were awed by her great wealth. Each night, the task had been getting greater for a young man, and he had barely gotten in with the whale before the raven called him. So to his wife, he cautioned, don't take any of that food unless she offers it. And then she added, if I'm found dead in this skin, put me along with the skin in a place where I used to hide it, and you will get help. Then the day came when a suedo shaman called for two whales. The young man caught them, but to bring them in, exceeded the strength even of the codine. All night long, he struggled to get them ashore, but... As he reached the beach, the raven fell off and he fell dead instantly. How sad. The mother-in-law went out as usual and found the two whales with a strange monster lying dead between them. All the villagers came down to see it. It had a claws like copper and a big head with long upright ears. Two great fans stood up on its back and it had a long curling tail. The simple villagers thought it must be one of the shaman's woman spirits. Thus then they heard someone crying, and upon looking in that direction, saw the chief's daughter approaching, whipping bitterly. Why does the chief's daughter call that monster her husband? They asked each other. When the girl reached the shore, she turned on her mother's angry, saying, Where are your spirits now? You lied. You said you had spirits when you actually had none. This is what, why this happened to my husband. Everyone in the village was now crying about, Mother, is this your food-finding spirit? Why did your spirit die? Real spirits never die. If this is your spirit, bring it to life again. Then the girl requested the help of someone who was spiritually clean, and they opened the monster's mouth, revealing the body of her husband. He must have been killed by what most by what that monster said. The villagers. Well, the woman and her helper went to like deposit the body according to the dead man's instruction. They saw the trap and the tools he had made it with them. He made it with. And then, for the first time, they knew the truth. All brothers went there to see for themselves and paid their effects to the man who had saved them from starving. That is all but the mother-in-law, for her shame was more than she could bear, and she died in convulsions, bloody from coming from her mouth. Bloody froth com- coming from her mouth. Every evening thereafter, the bearded young lady went to the tree, taking her husband's body and wept. 
but one evening the, she perceived a ripple in the waters of the lake. Then she saw the Kodak rise. Speaking her husband's voice, he called to her. Then it said, Get on my back and hold tight. She did so, and down beneath the waters of plunge. They still lived there beneath the surface, in a beautiful house, and numerous children are known as the daughters of the creek. They reside the head of every stream and to see them or either other spirit parents or surely bring one good luck. The very nice story. We all know real life can suck sometimes, and your boss accidentally seeing you in your underpants on Zoom last week doesn't help any. That's why Reluctantly Codependent Sisters, the Shira and Rashalia, keep you enthralled and in stitches every week with their podcast, Legendary Africa. Every Monday and Friday, we take you on a journey of mythical lands, magical objects, and monstrous creatures, both ancient and modern. Find Legendary Africa on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever you feed your ears. And remember, stay safe, stay sexy, and stay legendary. I think some more credits in Alaska. The it's quick from the Alaska it's like a, uh, cryptids, uh, Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Kishtaka. The fish are eight large ape-like human-like creatures. They usually stand between seven and ten feet tall. The body of a Bigfoot is heavily built, muscular, and covered in long, coarse hair, every brown or reddish brown in color. But, uh, behavior. Bigfoot spends most of his time in the forest and alongside the shoreline where it observes running, walking, even swimming in a frog-like manner. Evidence suggests that this creature is an omnivore. Bigfoot has been observed in areas where blueberries and has been seen chasing large game. There's, these creatures are usually passive or curious, but there are some reports of terrifying aggressive behavior. Or even a lot few cases in which a Bigfoot allegedly killed or injured a human. Encounters uh, with these creatures make up the bulk of this evidence of existence. Other evidence include nesting sites, deserted trees and vegetations, strange vocalizations, unfined hair samples, and finds of strange humanoid skeletons. Uh, Stellar Sea Ape. Stellar Sea Ape is an aquatic ape like creature with unusual features. This creature's back is covered with grayish hair, its belly is reddish white in color. The sea ape has many other unusual features, such as a hog like head, large eyes, and pointed ears. The animal has a shark like tail, but no forefins or forefeet. Uh, behavior. The creature has been only observed swimming in the waters of Aleutians using its shark-like tail. Explorer George Wilhelm Taylor describes a curious, playful, and intelligent creature when he saw this creature on an expedition in Alaska. Uh, this creature was seen by George Wilhelm Taylor and Lucian Allens. A sailor also saw a similar creature in the Lucians in the year 1969. He will state these two signs are only sorts of evidence for this creature's existence. Yeah. Kodiak dinosaur. The Kodiak dinosaur is a large, plesiosaur-like aquatic animal, possibly a whale. 
uh, pavers unknown. The following functions state the art sonar of shrimp boat fishing off the coast of Kodiak detected a strange massive object in the water. The size of shape resembles a large dinosaur-like creature. It shows that it was detected about 330 feet below the surface. It was about 200 feet in length. Wow. Okay, that's a good one. Where otters? The Kushdaka or land otter people of South Eastern Alaska have terrorized the Tinglet peoples for centuries. Like the Konakadak, was often was nothing, nothing enough to worry about. The Kushdak are a race of people who can shapefish, can shapeshift into otters, but not before it's staring humans in a web of cuteness. Otters are adorable, and turning the humans into Kushdak themselves. Kushtaka often assume the form of a human. Loved ones to ease deception. Once a human becomes a Kushtaka, his position in the afterlife is forfeit, a soul trapped upon earth. The Kushtaka are finicky folk, prone to the Kushtaka one minute acts of kindness the next, such as rescuing drowning sailors or simply shredding a victim's flesh and spilling his entrails, you know, just because. Tailors kept dogs to protect against Kushta. Not only could dogs defy Kushta because of their nature or the fact that Kushta may be carrying a lot, carrying pot uncertain for land, other people are afraid of dogs. They're also apparently afraid of copper, fire, and urine. Yeah, poor, yeah, poor are afraid of urine. We stay out there and keep full of fire. Okay. Play this door. Cartoons. This is a story from Creepy pasta. Not the Christian luck. So, it goes. My name is Kevin Wilson. I thought it was right. I thought it was right to write about what happened to me and my family. Before my incident, I was a very logical and skeptical man. I don't believe in Bigfoot, werewolves, ghosts, or anything to that nature. They're just silly bedtime stories that my mother used to tell me. 
Nowadays, I'm not too sure what I believe. When I close my eyes, I can hear. I can see her, anyway. Before I get to myself, I should probably start the game back before I met those things. My wife, Monica, and I lived in Reno, Nevada for basically our whole lives. When my, when my wife got pregnant, I was happy. I was so happy. All my life, I had wanted to be a father and treat my children to grow up in the world. I can still remember the day that my son was born. He was small and fragile, and I was so happy that my dream finally was coming true. Of course, I was happy for Monica as well, giving birth to our beautiful child, Toby. A few years after Toby's birth, Monica and I started talking about moving. We wanted to get out of the city and desert and find a small, nice small community where we could raise our son. We searched for weeks, hundreds of cities in every state that didn't have the desert in it. Finally, after weeks of searching for, for the perfect city, Monica found the city of Juneau. It was the capital of Alaska, and yet only had about 30,000 people in it. We checked our budget and came to the conclusion that we would move to Juneau. When a plane landed in Juneau, it was raining. Not heavily raining, mind you. Just drizzling, more or less. We were told by some locals that it rains quite a bit in Juneau. We didn't mind it, though. We just wanted out of the big city's dress and clutter. We had already made plans on renting the house and getting interviews for jobs before we moved up there. Just to be on the safe side, we took a cab and started our way to our house, which is in the part of Juneau they called Douglas. We had to cross, we had to cross a bridge to get to Douglas, which, was, which we learned from the cab driver was a large island next to mainland Juno. He dropped us off in front of our house and what a view we had of the water. We were on the beachfront in our own stretch of the beach. We were going straight to the water. It was very beautiful and we had thought that it made it the right choice for everyone. As we settled into our new house, I remember glancing outside and seeing the animal floating in the water staring towards our house. I didn't know nothing about animals but I thought it would, I should take a picture of it. Just realized that this was our good luck symbol. By the time I got in the camera and came back to the window, it was gone. I didn't know it at the time, but the animal I had seen was an otter. That night, I was woken up by strange noises coming from the beach. I got out of bed and looked out the window to see dark silhouettes running on all fours. I managed to grab my camera and snap a few photos of the things. I went back to bed. Next morning, I was showed my Monica and Toby the picture of the animals. They were amazed at the animals, and Monica thought they were, that whatever they were, they were cute. I worked, I still worked, I showed some of my coworkers the pictures, and one of them blurted out, Oh, they would, would be sea otters playing in your property. I remember asking him if they were dangerous, he played with only if for boats or unless it's Kushitaka. Everyone but me laughing. It was seemed to be a joke. It was straight over my head. Don't make fun of them. The voice startled me, and I spun around to see who it was. A little man who appeared to be an Alaskan native. The others sighed and went back to work, except me. I wanted to know what this Kush Takao was. Asked him why you shouldn't make fun of them, and he fight with a classic, You're not around here, around here, are you? I showed, I shook my head. Since there was no sense in lying. Well, he replied, Kushtaka is a talent word meaning otter people. They are known for being strafers and for killing humans. I went 
home that day thinking about how stupid that sounded. Shape shifting human R's. What a joke that was. A few nights later, I was in the living room watching TV while Monica went to go drop Toby off at her friend's for a sleepover. I sat there, I heard a sore scratching coming from the back door. I got to go look, and as I reached from the handle, I heard the sound of a baby crying on the other side. I froze as the sound made my hair stand up on end. The crying was coming just from the outside door when I just heard scratching noises. I wasn't skeptical, as I said before, but for a brief instant, every horror movie I ever watched came back to me. I shook the feeling off and opened the door. I looked down and stared at me with bright green eyes. It was an otter. That was very concerning for me, considering there were no babies there. I stared at it for a few seconds before I tried to nudge it away with my shoe. As I touched it, it hissed at me and swiped at me, taking a good chunk of my skin with it. I yelped in pain, and the otter scurried back to the water. I sat down, holding my wounds as it ripped blood onto the hardwood floor, and looked up to witness the otter standing on two legs and, and looked back at me. It gave me an early human-like grin, showing its sharp teeth and licking its claws. I don't know if, if my heart had ever beat that hard before, but I can say that, honestly, I'd never been that scared for my life before. I quickly got up and slammed the back door shut and locked all the doors and windows. When Maka got home, I told her about what happened and showed her my wound. She took me to the hospital and she continuously tried to convince me that I was in shock and imagined the whole thing. I know what I saw, though, and I don't know how to explain it to her without sounding crazy. After getting a series of rabies and tennis shots, we went home. We walked in the front door. We would see that our house was thrashed, furniture torn up and scattered everywhere, dishes shattered, everything else in between. As Monica called 911, I noticed that the back door was wide open, had large claw marks running down it. When Tories arrived, they told us that they looked like a bear had gotten in. I told them that I locked the back door and they were fine with, huh? That's training behavior for a bear then. We cleaned up the mess with the authorities, left, and went to bed. It took me a long time to sleep because with every creak of the house, I was reminded of the smile the otter gave me and, and left my blood from its claws. Weeks after all that happened, I was at the table eating breakfast with Maka. Toby then came downstairs from his eyes and looked at us. I'll never forget the doors he said next. He looked right at me and said, The otter people told me last night they want to kill me. My heart sank it hearing those words. And every time I think about that day and what he said. Anyway, after he said that, Monica played me for Villain's head with scary stories. She and I drive Toby to school and I heard the rest of them way home while those well, whose fault it was what Toby had said. That night, I couldn't sleep very well. I thought of what Toby said, uh, thought of what Toby said and Monica and I find I was a little on edge and restless, so I thought about I would sit, go sit in the chair in the living room. I sat down, still was off, right as I heard a baby crying like before. I sat up confused and then became scared for Toby. I got up and ran to his room and checked on him. I opened the door to his room and froze in utter fear. Sitting over his bed was something ungodly hideous. It had the body of an otter standing only about five feet tall. Its hands were like those of humans, but it had large curved claws instead of fingernails. Its face was that of a half otter and a half man. With the same crooked smile that stared to my eyes with hypnotic eyes, I turned slowly towards me and turned slowly towards me. I shook myself out of a trance and looked at it too. 
I only feel that sharp claws enter my shoulder and heavy body pounced on me, knocked me to the ground. Without a piercing screech, I leapt off the body and ran to the door. I lay on the ground, holding my bleeding shoulders as the loud chatter echoed through the house, followed by the sound of Toby sobbing incredibly. I blacked out. I woke up in the hospital with a bandage around my arm and a few tubes sticking out of me. I looked around the room and saw Maka and Toby sitting next to me. Maka leaned down to kiss me softly, and Toby hugged me. I was so overjoyed to find out that they were safe. I actually cried. The doctors told me that my wounds were like I was attacked by a bear. I agreed, of course, because I know that I was not attacked by a bear. It was one of the ghost kushataka things. But as I tried to plead my case to them, they told me that I must have dreamed that is what it was. That it was... Okay. I couldn't believe that no one was listening to me while saying it. I, knew, I know that was definitely sound like I imagined it, but it was still the truth. I stayed at the hospital for a few nights longer, recovered fully. My last night there, I had a very weird dream. I was under the water, swimming in the rain. I popped up above the surface of the water and staring at, at my house. I turned my head and glanced at what looked like four otters surrounding me. I nodded. They all then began to swim towards my house. I woke up in absolute panic and looked outside as rain pounded my window. I had to get out of here and go check up on my family immediately. I got dressed and since I was on the first floor of the hospital, I jumped out the window. I ran as fast as I could, hoping that it was nothing more than a dream and I would find them asleep in their beds. As I got to the front, house of my house, front step of my house, I collapsed on the walking mat gasping for air. I was soaked down to the bone and my lungs felt like they were being crushed. As I regained my strength, I opened the front door slowly and was greeted with the darkness of my house. I tried the lights, but they did not turn on. I gulped and stepped inside further. Noticing the slight breeze coming through a window, I could see the back door was wide open and my heart beat faster and I walked towards my family's rooms. As I walked closer, my vision had trouble adjusting to pitch blackness that surrounded me. Suddenly, I stepped into something that squished under my weight and slipped out from under me. I landed on my back and Millie gasped as the air was knocked out of me. I lay there for a few seconds before I looked to see that what tripped me. Laying on the ground next to me was a body with the entrails ripped out, limbs torn off and face skinned. I stared in horror for even though the person was virtually unrecognizable, I knew it was Monica. I turned, I turned away from it, not wanting to look at the abomination. Tears fell down my face and the rally slowly started sinking. After a few minutes, I heard a scream from outside. It was Toby. I got up quickly, shaking off the pain rushing down my back and heart. I sprinted out the back door from the back end to the beachhead. I stopped and I looked in the dreary eyes of a kushtika who grinned crookedly as I held Toby by his hair. Toby screamed and kicked, trying to get away from the thing's clutches. I cursed at it. Let my son go, you bastard, taking me instead. Kushtika smiled more, shown to his Sharp teeth as he did. And acted like my pleas for mercy entertained it. Held Toby up further and put his hands under him, holding him like a child. It slowly started to pet his hair as it spoke a crackled, dry voice. No matter what has or will happen in my life, I'll never forget the awful voice and what it said. It started to my eyes and said, No. I enjoyed this too much. With those words, it pulled Toby's head back and sank his teeth into my son's neck. I screamed and watched in horror as it tore my son's neck out and then threw them, threw him at me. 
My Toby landed on the ground with a thump. I watched him die in front of me. Kushtaka laughed and dove into the water, slipping into the black water. After cops cleaned up the mess and I was placed under big questions for murdering my family, I flew back to Reno so I could be away from the ocean. I will always remember everything that happened while we were up there. I will never forget those things that lurk in the oceans. Because of the Kushtaka, I'll never go anywhere near the ocean again. I cannot sleep in the dark anymore, and every time I hear a baby cry, I am reminded of those green eyes and that horrible smell. I think that I'll remember most of all will be that voice and what it said to me. No, I enjoy this too much. Ooh, spooky, spooky story. The sound. Okay. Next up. Got these one. There's a. So, a lot of people are tall and ape-like. They are horribly ugly and covered in long coarse hairs that were scabs and scars replace it. Other, other people are also equipped with long claws. Other people are aggressive and deadly creatures. I would suggest they will chase and kill people and emit terrifying screams. Uh, Modern early 1900s had a terrifying encounter with these creatures at Thomas Bay. A trapper in Thomas Bay lost his dog, went out to look for it, and never returned. Okay. Okay, three minutes. What else got here? Have a good time. Make sure you subscribe, not subscribe, just listen to us on Spotify and podcast things. Evil Inuit Mermaid, Qualopatic, from visitcryptoville.com. Here's a strange tale from the frozen north courtesy of the Inuit peoples. Kravalapalek looks horrible. Scares children and waits piercingly in the shadows of Kirsten. Kirsten's lovers will be reminded of other mermaid tales that they've heard, or they've heard along these lines, but, this is, but is this monster real? Inuit letters give us the tale of Kravalapalek, who is described as a half-human, half-sea creature. Like other mermaids, she lives in the Arctic seas and is always searching for these few children in Rome to close too close to the shoreline. They describe her as having long, wild hair, green skin, and fingernails so long they almost look like claws. She wears a garment called an 
I'm used to take which is worn by Inuit people to hold their babies on their backs, sort of like a backpack. That's, that's how she carries away unsuspecting children. Inuit tell their children that if they are near the shore and hear the humming, the quality is near. She tries to entice them with the edges so she can guide them and take them away somewhere to hide. Some tales say that she eats the children, but most I read say she keeps them in a secret place to put them to sleep so they don't try to escape. These tales say she feeds off their energy to stay young, to keep her shiny green skin lovely and her wild hair lustrous. As, she, as the children age, Qualipic grows younger. There is at least one tale where Bob's father, a skilled hunter, searched for his son ceaselessly. Qualipic saw this and went, was afraid of being found, so she let her son go. After that, the boy turned to a monster of the tribe and never disobeyed his parents or the elders again. Well. Uh, this makes a good story to keep the kids in line, especially when you're living in the vast wilderness of a treacherous season you provide. For me, I saw this creature taking a child on its back into frozen waters and instantly negates any possibility that the tale is real. The kids will die of hypothermia almost instantly. On land and other cultures, we have tales of the boogeyman, which lurks in the woods. Children are advised to stay close to families and do as they're told in order to keep safe. It's a cautionary tale. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening to this episode of Monster Legend Podcast. Or to find more information about Monster Legend Podcast, go to monsterlegendpodcast.com or anchor.fm forward slash monster legend podcast. There you can find all episodes and platforms on which the podcast is on which you can describe subscribe to you also can email me with questions that will be answered on the show thank you what's so special about hero bread soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas these ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar fewer calories and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.